chapter 18, um, when uh, they come to get Jesus, uh, the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers and the, um, the high priest. And uh, uh, Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And so I'm going to pose that question to you. Whom? See, last week it was, What do you seek? Now this week, it's whom do you seek? And we're going to unpack that a little bit as the day goes on. But before we get there, I want to go through, and I found this very interesting, there are so many issues or accounts of people who wanted to see and seek after Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And one of the reasons that we begin with in John is that therefore Jesus, knowing all things were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. This world just wants to see the man. That's the only thing they're seeking. They were just looking for this man for questioning. And sometimes when you are out and about and you're talking about the man or others are talking about the man, they are simply saying, oh, gee, yeah, he was a good teacher or you don't believe all of that stuff because they only see him as a man. <clears throat> Whom do you seek? Do you seek more than the man? From Matthew, we have the story of the account of Herod. And the they then is now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord, and they is the three wise men. Um, uh, and they were told not to go back to Herod. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. See, this is Herod the Great we're talking about, and he had heard that there was a king. The three wise men came and said, Have you heard about this new king that's been born? And Herod said, No, but I want to take care of him. And he actually says, Oh, please come back and tell me that I may come and worship him. All lies. Because he says, if he thinks to himself, if there's a king, I want to make sure he's done in. And so Herod, of course, if you remember the account, uh, sends out uh, militia troops to kill all the children in uh, Bethlehem and the surrounding area who are two years old, and all the male children who are two years old and uh, younger slay them. He wanted, his, his, his objective was to kill Jesus. Then we have, now this is Herod, uh, Herod the Great dies, and this gets a little confusing sometimes. So we had Herod uh, Antipas, and Herod Antipas, when Herod the Great dies, 
there are, his, his rule is divided into four different areas. And Herod Antipas is in charge of the, he's the governor of the uh, Galilee area. And so when Herod was uh, very glad he saw Jesus, he gets sent there, you know, that first of all he goes, to, Jesus is taken to uh, Ananias, and then he's taken to the high priest, I got it, Caiaphas. Then, then he's taken to Pilate, and Pilate says, oh, he learns that he's from Galilee, and he realizes that he is not the governor of Galilee, but Herod Antipas, who happens to be in Jerusalem, is the governor of Galilee. All that must come under your jurisdiction. I'm going to get rid of Jesus by sending him to you, Herod. And Herod's very glad to see him. He was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time. Oh, this sounds really great, doesn't it? Because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. I just want to see a sign from you, Jesus. Pull a rabbit out of your hat. Give me something that entertain me. Wrong reason. Now we come back to Pilate. And as a result, Pilate made efforts to release him. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate, therefore, heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. All of a sudden, he was faced with a political threat. And the Jews were saying, hey, he's saying, Jesus is saying he's a king. And if you let him go, you're letting a king go, and you are no friend of Caesar's. And we're going to tell Caesar that. And you know what would have happened to Pilate, which actually it did in the end. Uh, but that's another story. Or how about this? John 6, 26. And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Hmm. I just want to get what I can get from Jesus. That's what I'm interested in. That's the reason I'm seeking him. Did you see all the food he produced? I'm going to follow him because that's what he does. And then there were those who were seeking Jesus simply to test him. And the Pharisees came out and began to uh, argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So they wanted to test him. Let's see a sign, and we're testing you to see whether you are the Messiah. We heard about all these things. Now we want to see it. Now I want to see it. I mean, I want to see it right now. One of you sick, I want you to come up here. We're going to do a sign right now. Right now. Then you'll all believe. 
That's what they were saying. Wow. We also have those uh, in John 11. The disciples of Sam said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? There were those who were seeking him to kill him, to stone him. And from Philippians, I debated whether to put this in there or not, but I, I threw it in and I'll give a better explanation. Paul writes, uh, for they seek after their own interest and not that of Christ Jesus. See, there again were those who were following Jesus, but only after their own interest. Um, it gave them status. It gave them uh, an importance within the Christian community. Um, and Paul uh, writes in, in 2 Timothy, he writes, um, everyone's deserted me. When he became into trial, 2 Timothy 4.17, he says, everyone's deserted me. They've departed from me. And he goes through this long list of people who deserted him because they're just after, they, didn't, they weren't ready to face the hardship that being a Christian met. And then there's Mary Magdalene. You know, she was going down in the morning. She was going down to see a dead man. She had seen him crucified. And so she went down. And Jesus said to her, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't say for myself many, many times. I'm just seeking the fixer. The fixer. Fix this Jesus. Fix my marriage. Fix my finances. Fix my relationships. Fix my health. Fix me. Fix it, fix it, fix it. That's what I want from you. If not, I'm just going to throw a tantrum. He's a fixer. Whom do you seek? And that Jesus raises that question. Who are you after? Who, whom do you seek? Um, now before I go on to the next slide, I want to tell you an interesting, at least it's interesting to me, so I'll, if it's not interesting, just pretend that it is, okay? At our house, we have this swimming pool. And it's an in-ground pool and it's filled with water because people swim in it. And to get into the pool, you have to go down three steps. And the pool is sort of divided. About a third of it is pretty shallow. By shallow, about three feet. 
But when you're going down the steps, the first one has about six inches of water in it, and the second one maybe uh, 14, 15 inches of water, and the third one about 24 inches, and then you get onto the floor of the pool, and it's about three feet deep, and then you walk out. And we put a rope across this at that point, uh, because that separates the shallow part from the deep part, and then it drops down to uh, about a 10-foot depth. Well, when we have kids out, I love to watch them. Because the non-swimmers, and some of the non-swimmers, are on the steps. And you cannot pry them off of the steps. Because that's where they're comfortable in that water. You want to, come on, come on. And I watch the parents. Come on, come on down in here. Rope, 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 rope. Don't go down. No, no. And a few of the moderate swimmers are in the three foot bobbing because. They've learned to bob, but they don't know how to swim, but they're bobbing. And they go back and forth. And from time to time, when we get all those adults in there, and all those kids, we probably have 15 or 20 people in the small area. And the rest of it, well, that's where the teenagers are, because they can swim. And they're down there doing cannonballs and splashing in this deep water and having a great old time. Well, that was really an interesting story. We hope it has a point. Two. I'm thinking of the point. If you would ask the kids clung to the steps, a good time swimming, they would say, oh, yeah, I loved it. It was so much fun. And a lot of times they take the toys and pour them over each other's heads and stuff. And, and so there's a variety. If you would tell the kids who were in the deep end, did you have a good time swimming? Yeah, it was great. Ah, blah, 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 blah. We were doing cannonballs. Did you see this? Did you see that? It's all the same pool. It's all the same water. It's just that people are different in the pool where they are. The kids are in the shallow end. On the, some of them are just on the steps. Well, this brings me back to Ezekiel. Judas, he knew I was gone there. Judas, oh, yeah, 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 you got there. Okay. Now, I don't, listen, there is a throne we're told, the throne of God, and out of that is a river that flows. And it's a river, and when Ezekiel is told to go to this throne, and he's taken there in a vision, he's told to measure it. And I don't know why, other than what I'm about to tell you, it's reason I think that he is told to measure it. Uh, and let me read through that. And when the water went toward the east, and with a line in my, his hand, he measured a thousand cube, cubits, and he led me through the water, and water reached to the ankles. 
And again, it measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and water reached the knees. And again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, reaching the loins. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forged. So we're given this picture. It's all the same river. It's all the same water. This passage goes on to say it is water of life. And anything in this water lives. And there are trees growing on both sides, and they are, their leaves do not wither, and they produce fruit all year round. So we're given this picture. But why, why ankles? Why knees? Why loins? What's, what's the picture there? And bear with me. I'm taking a little license at this point. There are many of us churches here and throughout Indiana and throughout the state and throughout the country who are content to go into the water to their ankles. It's living water and that's all the further they want to go. And I thought about that and I thought what does it mean, what does it look like if Jesus says, whom are you seeking? And I thought, water to the ankles probably means that I have come to this point, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Second Timothy tells us, but now has been revealed, but now has been revealed the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How, if you are not saved, if you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, you are not even ankle deep. But if you have, you are in this living water. Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. If you are sitting here today and you have made that commitment to Jesus Christ and said, I want to follow you, I want to wade in the water, then you are walking in water up to your ankles. And it is good and just like the little kid, yeah, I had a great time. But I want to tell you something. There's more. There's deeper water. And how deep do you want to go? Who are you seeking? Well, I think in ankle water... I'm comfortable with saying, Jesus is my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and troubles gone away. 
And it's a true. I'm not saying it's not. That's, that's where the water is. I, I'm, I'm, I have a friend in Jesus. Whom are you seeking? I'm seeking a Savior and I'm seeking a friend. Luke 5 says, And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. If you're a friend of Jesus, your sins are forgiven you. And John 15, he said, and we heard this this morning, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends. Ah, isn't that great? I love it. Thank you. Jesus calls you a friend of his. And he says, you're in the water. But there's more. There's more. And so, you have to decide. You want to go to the knees? What does it mean to go to the knees? Well, you can challenge this, but I've just thought about it and thought, well, I think going to the knees means that I have to see him as the healer. Who do you seek? I need healing, Lord. I need healing. It's not quite as comfortable as the ankles. But it's deeper. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said, I'll come and heal him. He is the healer. We see written in Matthew, and when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill in order that what might be spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He is our healer. And so many times, we need to come and say, Lord, whom do you seek? Oh, I seek, I seek the healer. I've already been in the ankle-deep water. Now I'm up to the knees. Or perhaps knee-deep, seeing him as the teacher. Psalm 25. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you art the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Is this the cry of your heart? Teach me, O oh Lord. You know, we spent a whole year last year on learning and talking about the way of God. Are you willing to walk in the way of God? And that requires you to go a little deeper in the water. And do you cry out, teach me, O oh Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me. My teaching is not mine, John 7 tells us that Jesus said. But he who sent me, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. See, we have to understand that when Jesus is teaching, he's speaking the words of God. 
because they're one. And sometimes the words, the teaching is not pleasant. He who comes after me must deny himself and pick up his cross. Oh, and die daily. How many of you are into dying daily? That's only, that's only, that's only knee deep. We're going to go swimming yet. <laughs> he who does not love me more than mother, son, daughter, is not worthy of me. Ouch! He's the teacher. Do you see him? Whom do you seek? Um, you don't know how hard this was to find a loin picture. That was semi-acceptable to the Sunday morning congregation. Well, what does it mean? To seek him to the loins. Is he? And what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Psalm 23. And please, we're not having a funeral here. Psalm 23 is a, is a psalm of life, not death. The Lord is my shepherd. Because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. Wow, are you there? That's loin, that's loin water. He makes me lie down. He makes. I don't want to lie down, but he makes me lie down in green pastures. He's my shepherd. He leads me beside. Oh, there's waters again, quiet waters. What are quiet waters? Waters where there's no turmoil, turmoil no chaos. It's a quiet pool to drink. He leads me there. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Oh, man. Yeah. Even when trouble comes, and when it's hovering over and yelling in my ear and screaming at me and telling me everything is fallen apart. I will not fear it. For you are with me. Oh, and your rod. Yes, your rod fends off the enemies. Oh, and what does your staff do? Your staff grabs me by the neck and pulls me back. It disciplines me. He's my shepherd. For you were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. I also think that loin, loin waters have to do with the servant. Have this attitude in yourselves, Philippians tells us which was also in Christ, who although 
He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on a form of a bondservant. Are you a servant? You know, one of the things that I learned about servant, serving, is it has an interesting word before it. It's called inconvenience. See, when you're called to serve, it's usually... Can you help me this afternoon? No, I'm going to watch the game. Can you prepare a meal? No, I can't do that. It's inconvenient. Do you have a servant heart, a servant's attitude? Because if you're going to go into that deep water, you're going to have to have this, this attitude that I, it's not my life, it's yours. How can I serve, Lord? How can I make the coffee? I can't make coffee. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can learn how to make coffee. We need people to make coffee. That's a serving. I mean, I can go down the list, but I won't. I'll spare you. But the greatest of you among shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, we have people who do many things here. We have a security group. We have the media group. We have people who take care of things here. Are you a servant? Do you want to go in that deep? Do you want to go in or not? Ah, no. Hey, I love the water back here at my ankles. It's pleasing. I'm saved. I got a friend in Jesus. Or do I want to get deeper into the water? Uh-oh. Oh, we're getting someplace. Now we're going to swim. Oh. Jesus, you're my master. You know, Philippians, it said he became a bondservant, and I know that you've heard me talk about bondservant. I don't think I've ever, I've taught on it, but not recently. A bondservant is someone who absolutely has no rights whatsoever. You don't get a 15-minute break. You don't get a lunch time. You are at the beck and call of your master. And that's the reason when James opened, he says, James, an apostle, a bondservant. Paul opens, Paul, an apostle, a bondservant. Paul opens his letters. Paul, an apostle, a bondservant. Bondservant answers to the master. And Jesus, teaching in 17, Luke 17, he says, But which of you having a slave? I just went from a friend to a slave. I don't want to be a slave. Well, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come immediately and sit down and eat. 
But will he not say to him, prepare something for your master to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me? Until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. It's a bond servant to my master. And I want you to be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Or have we fallen asleep like the ten virgins? Do we wait for the master in anticipation? What's my master want from me? I'm looking for him today. And of course, if you're swimming, you have to be, understand that he is Lord. And you know, I, I, I could have done the king, but I did Lord because that's, Jesus talks about that more so. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Don't call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes on to talk about building on sand and rock. Lord, Lord. That's deep water. If you're going to call him Lord, you're swimming. And Jesus in John says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And here's a sense of humility. And he's teaching us that he is indeed Lord. And this is what I'm telling you to do. You need to be humble. Humble before your brother. You need to be humble in this world. So, you know, we could go, we had a, I could have had a whole list up here. Who are you seeking? Who are you seeking? Well, I, I like ankle-deep Jesus. But do you want to move on? I'm going to run out of time. John 20. Now we're back to Mary Magdalene. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. See, sometimes we don't see Jesus. He's the gardener. We mistake who he is. But when he spoke to her and said, Mary, she turned to him. And in Hebrew, Rabboni, she said, Teacher. Show me what I need to know. Second Chronicles 16 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done. His marvels and the judgments from his mouth. 
You know, we are told to seek more than I just went over this morning. You seek him. But I want you to remember your takeaway from today is that we're comfortable in the, in the shallow waters. But when we get to the deeper waters, it becomes a little more challenging. Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is ahead, even Christ. See, going into the deeper waters is oftentimes just about growing in him and being willing to step in. And again, when I come back to the picture of the kids in the pool, sometimes mom or dad has to take the kid and say, okay, we're going a little bit deeper now, and I'll take care of you, but we're going deeper. No! And cling. And then they go in a little bit deeper until the kid becomes acclimated to that depth of water. And then there's a change. And they act differently, and they behave differently. And pretty soon they're saying, I want to go on the other side of the rope. I want to go over there. You're not ready yet. But I want to go. Not yet. Soon. Swim in this. Get yourself acclimated. And then you'll be ready to go into the deep waters. Send me in, coach. Send me in. Isn't God good? God wants to draw us onto him. He wants us to grow up into him. Paul writes, grow up into all aspects of him. That's our charge. Whom do you seek? Well, sometimes I just seek the fixer-upper. Well, I'll fix. I'll fix you up. But I want more than that. I want to give you more than that because I have more for you. Amen? Amen. Amen.